Well, welcome to church. Uh, today I'm going to be talking, my topic is going to be called The Shiny Trap, Priorities Gone Astray. We're going to be doing a decent amount of Bible reading. Uh, and one of the things I want to talk about is our priorities and how our priorities can be trapped. And what made me think of this is, one, the Bible verses that I was reading and thinking about, and two is fishing. So I've been, you know, I'm not really a big fisher guy. I haven't fished a lot. But last week, Wednesday morning, uh, a buddy invited me, or more correctly, I invited myself with a buddy who's gone fishing. And I went fishing for, for, for a salmon, right? I didn't really know much. I had a fishing pole. Um, that was about it. I didn't know what to do, how to do stuff. I figured fish, you know, can't be that hard, but maybe it is fun. People, people, people make it sound like it's fun. So I go fishing, and I'm and I'm looking for fish, and I'm throwing stuff in. I'm trying to get it out, and I think about thinking to myself, now if I was a fish in this river, what would I not want to do? And the answer came to me is get caught on my fishing hook. Uh, the fish's priority is not to get caught. My priority is to catch this fish, to smoke this fish, and put it in my fridge so I could feed my family. We've got priorities that are slightly divergent, and uh, they are not compatible. Where, where am I going with this, right? Where am I going with this? That there are things in this world that are trying to catch us, and there are things that we need to do not to get caught. Uh, sometimes things that are trying to catch us do a good job, and sometimes they don't. Uh, so say, I'll tell you about Wednesday. Uh, I went out Wednesday, and so the guy shows me how to hook, how to tie a hook. And so, you know, you got to go around and you pull on it. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm real smart here. The fish is going to see the little part of the, of the lesca that, that sticks out. And so I'm going to cut it real, real close to the, to the knot. And so I tie it, I cut it to the, close to the knot, I throw it in there, I got my first fish, I'm reeling it in, and this one is like super close, the hook just, you know, undoes, un, undoes itself, and off goes my fish. And I'm like, oh man, well, that, well, that was so close, I, I almost have a story to tell. And so I do it again, and I don't fix my mistake. And this time I throw my thing in, and like when I throw the, the hook and the, and the, the weight, it just goes one way, and then I have nothing except just my line. I'm like, well, that didn't work too much. And so I do it again, and I get my hook on there, and I'm fishing, and I'm getting bites. It's awesome. But every single time I get a bite, there's no fish. It, like, let's go. And the guys standing next to me, they're catching fish left and right, and they start making fun of me. They're like, well, you're not pulling right. You got to pull up and down. And the other guy's like, you got to pull sideways, and you got to not pull, and you got to pull quick, and let the fish bite. And I'm just working. It's been like half an hour. It's been 45 minutes, and I'm trying so hard. And it's biting like every three minutes and nothing. And so I'm, I, I get kind of disappointed. I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to try something different. So I pull everything in and go back. And I look. And what ends up happening is my little bobber was there, and my little yarn was there, but the hook came off. So the fish were biting the little bobber and the little yarn, and so I'd get a bite, but every time I'd pull, there wasn't a hook there, so I wasn't catching any fish. And I figured you can't really fish if you don't have a hook. That's what I understood. Anyways, there's things that are trying to catch you. 
there's circumstances, there's people, there's situations in your life that are trying to catch them. And some of them have a big hook and some of them don't. But it is our responsibility to figure out what we need to do to not get caught and to have our priorities straight. For the fish, the priority is to go upstream, to have good food, to eat the good worms, the good bugs, get up to where they need to so they can spawn, so they can reproduce, and they can continue their offspring. And so we get to a, a Bible verse. It is found in Matthew chapter 22, starting from verse 15. It's a, it's, it's a decent amount of reading, and you may try to figure out what is the thing that ties this entire story together, um, and, and we'll get there. So Matthew 22, starting from verse 15, is going to be the, uh, the story of taxes for Caesar, the discussion about resurrection, and the most important commandment. Verse 15, then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of the disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew of their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them, and they went away. That's story number one. Then we continue in verse 23. The same day Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question. Teacher, Moses said if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died and the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now, as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in scriptures? Long after... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living and not the dead. When the crowds heard him, they were astounded at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard this, he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply. They met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And so the thing that ties all of these stories together, the story of 
the, the Roman coin and the question about taxes, the question of the Sadducees and the question of the Pharisee to Jesus about which, one, which commandment is the most important is that they were trying to trap Jesus. Just like I was trying to trap a fish when I was fishing, these people were trying to trap Jesus. Now, Jesus was doing Jesus stuff. He was accomplishing his mission. He was out healing people. He was calling the Pharisees out on what they were doing. They were, it rubbed them the wrong way. They were not very happy. And so because of the, this, because they were upset at him, they were trying to figure out a way, how do I we trap Jesus? How do we get him? And so one of the ways they thought about it, we're going to ask him questions. We're going to trap him. We're going to get him. You know, you and me serving Jesus is going to rub some people the wrong way. It's going to rub the, the powers of darkness the wrong way. It's going to rub the people who are in darkness the wrong way. And they're going to try to do things in our life that are going to trap us. The devil is not happy letting you go and having your priorities straight in life, having your priorities where they should be. He wants to give you things that will take your priorities, take your focus off of Jesus and put it somewhere else. Just like these people tried with Jesus. And it says in the 16th verse, and they sent some of their disciples along with the uh, supporters of Herod, or some versions say, um, that's verse, verse 16, the Herodians, to trap him. Just like that, just like there was somebody who was sent to Jesus to trap him, there will be someone, somewhere, some situation which will try to trap your priorities. And so verse 16 through 22, we read about the Herodians. It says that the Herodians were sent to trap Jesus. And you can say, like, who are these Herodians? We've heard of the Pharisees. We've heard of the Sadducees. We've never heard of the Herodians. Who are these guys, and why, how are they trying to trap Jesus? Well, these people were trying to trap Jesus with politics and with power. They were Jews, these Herodians, but they were Jews who supported um, Herod. That's what they were called, supporters of Herods or Herodians. And so their whole idea is they were not happy with Rome and how Rome was uh, over the Jewish state and told them what to do and what not to do. And they thought that the best way to accomplish something was through politics. They're like, okay, the, the way to do things is political. We have Herod. He's not a full Jew, but he's like, you know, part Jewish, part his mother or his grandma most Jewish. And so maybe we can push him through and, and get rid of the Romans. And so the way to fix things in this world is through politics. And so you can see this when they come up to Jesus and they ask him a question. They do it in a very politically correct manner. You know, political correctness is not a new thing. They, they come up to him and they say, uh, teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. There's buttering Jesus up right here. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. They're telling, you know, they're, they're the type of people, the politicians, who will tell you what you want to hear. That's them. And they asked Jesus a political question about taxes. And each one of these stories you can take out and you can do a whole sermon on just kind of the parts of, of, of what I've read, but I, w I won't do that. I kind of want to do the big picture. Uh, Jesus is not against politics. 
I don't think Jesus or God is against us voting or exercising our constitutional rights here in the U.S., but politics is not going to save you. Politics cannot become your God. It cannot become your focus, your attention. Your priority cannot become political. Uh, tell you what, Biden will not save you. Trump will not save you. Jesus will save you. And so people get into all these big debates and they get on all these conversations and you have these heated conversations, whether it be at camp or at Thanksgiving, and people are yelling at each other and they're fighting and this person and that person, and he said and she said and this and that. There's a place to vote. There's a place to, to, to talk or to think politics. But these Herodians back in the day, I mean, this is like 2,000 years ago, they thought, this is it. If we just have the right person in power, of course, back then they didn't have votes, you know. It's like, you want somebody else in power? You kill the person before him, and you put your person in power. So a little bit different dynamics. But they thought, hey, politics is the answer. If we just get our guy in power, everything's going to be okay. Salvation will come. Things will be just rosy. This country's going to be great. There's a place for it, but politics are not the answer. And so Jesus doesn't fall for the trap. Hey, politics has a place, but that is not the priority. Then we go to the next people who talk to Jesus. So, so uh, the Herodians, they, they walk away from Jesus. They were amazed. They didn't know what to say. And the next people who approach him are the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees... Um, aside from their theology of not, not believing in the resurrection of dead, not believing in angels, not believing in life after death necessarily. Um, this was a layer of people in society who were wealthy. These are mostly rich people. The majority of the priests who were in the temple that Herod built uh, were Sadducees. The high priest was a Sadducee. Uh, they were the merchants. They were just really wealthy people in general, right? Uh, the 1%, if you will. And so they come to Jesus and they ask him this question. And they, their priority was their wealth. They wanted to preserve their wealth and their power. And when you're reading through this question, they're asking you about Jesus, about this guy who married a girl, and then he died, and then his brother married her, and then his, her, you know, his brother. Like, what does this have anything to do with wealth? Like, what does this have anything to do with anything? Well, the thing is that in Jewish law, um, they had a provision to take care of the widows. And how did they do this? They didn't have, like, you know, right now we have 401ks and social securities and all these things that, that are supposed to help people. And the way they did it is, so if, if a woman was left by herself when she got old, and she didn't have any kids to take care of her, uh, she would be destitute. She wouldn't have anything to eat. She wouldn't have anything to place to live. Uh, she wouldn't be able to work. And so there needed to be a way to help these women support themselves. And the best way to support the parents was to have children. And so here's the idea that if a man marries a woman and he dies, she has no one to take care of her. His brother would marry her, and the first son that they would have together would be considered the son of the original brother that first married her. What this would do is when that son grew up, 
the land that belonged to the first guy would become his. The inheritance would become his. Uh, he would be able to take care of his mom. The mom wouldn't go destitute. Uh, she'd be taken care of. Now, where this relates to wealth is right now when we think of somebody wealthy, we think of bank accounts, we think of gold, we think of uh, cryptocurrency, Dogecoin. I don't, know, I don't know what you think of when you think of wealth. Elon Musk, right? Big numbers. Back then, that wasn't that big of a thing. The majority of people's wealth was in the dirt they possessed. Why? Because you have dirt, you can plant stuff. If you can plant stuff, you have food. If you have enough food, you are considered wealthy. If you have land, you can have goats and sheep. They can eat the grass on that land. You had a way to, to not die, basically, you know. Um, so that it was, it was a form of wealth for them. And again, they try to trap. So when they ask about, you know, whose wife is she, it, it's, it is a question about the husband, but it's a deeper question of, like, who inherits the land? Who, what happens to the inheritance? What happens to the land? What happens to the wealth? How do we preserve the money that's, that's there? And Jesus and God, I believe, are not against wealth. They're not, he's not against money. He's not against us having things. But the idea, again, here is your priority cannot be wealth. It cannot be money. It can't be just the material things that you see. You know, being a millionaire is not a sin, and we all need money to live. That's not sinful. But making money, making riches, making wealth, making things your idol, and the thing that is the most important in your life, that's a problem. That's a problem of your priorities. You know, if it becomes your idol, it will destroy you. There's so many people who spend time, you know, working and working overtime, and it's not because they need it to, to not go hungry. It's because how much is enough? Another dollar. They don't spend time with their kids. They don't spend time with, with their families. Their, their families fall apart. They don't have good relationships. And also, they could have a little bit more money. You know, if, if you think of somebody who's attractive, you usually don't think of somebody greedy. Just, you know, Scrooge walking around like, man, this guy is just such a nice guy. That doesn't happen. Greedy people are unattractive. People who are generous are attractive. You can't have wealth and money as your priority, although it has its own place. Imagine, imagine a guy who's divorced, who's lonely, but he's rich and has a lake on the on the. He has a house on the lake with a jet ski. Like you know, if, there's a thing to wealth. There's a thing to money. It, it, it has its place, but it can't be your priority in life. And it wasn't Jesus's priority in life. And you get to the third story where the Pharisees. Um, hear that Jesus silenced the Sadducees with his reply. And they're like, we're not like these Sadducees. You know, these guys are like, don't believe in life after death. They're not really, you know, they're not the real deal. These Herodians who are politicians and wannabes, we are the Pharisees. We are the good guys, right? Who are the Pharisees? These are the guys who had followed the law to the, you know, dotted their I's and crossed their T's. They had these codes that they followed. They were good and moral people. So they come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, 
Like, there's a lot of commandments out there. There's the commandments here. There's the commandments that we wrote ourselves. Which one of these commandments is the greatest? Which one of these is just like, if you follow it, you are it. Like, if I follow this commandment, I could come up to people and say, I am holier than thou. And you will be impressed. And so what does Jesus tell him, right? Go to Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. And it says, And so the Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And the worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote or repetition. So what's wrong with morality? Nothing. We need to be people who are moral. Morals are a good thing. If you have morals, it's almost like a like a boundary you're within, it keeps society functioning, it keeps society healthy, it keeps society normal. So there's nothing wrong with having morals like the Pharisees did. They're just like there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of money. There's nothing wrong with going voting. But the problem becomes that um, when tradition and morality becomes your priority, it misses the point that tradition and morality will not save you. Just like money will not save you and politics will not save you. Jesus will save you, not your morality. Although you should have morality, although it is great to have some money and it is great to be involved in the political process where we're at. You know, it's a, this, this, it's, it's, this is probably one of the biggest traps we face um, in the church because we, we lie to ourselves that if we're just good enough, if we just seem good enough, if we do the things that other people will approve, and we get other people's approval, then things are great. But like God was talking to, to the people through Isaiah, it says, you're doing all the right things. You play the part. You look great. But what you do, what you say, and who you are inside are different. And that's where it becomes a problem. When we have morality and tradition as our priority and not Jesus as our priority, what it leads to is either leads to incorrect judgment of others, which is pride, or it leads to despair. I'm not good enough because I, I can't make it. And there's, these are the three kind of traps that were thrown at Jesus, right? The, the traps of the priority of politics, of, of wealth, of uh, morality, but there's other different traps that we fall into that grab our attention and grab our priorities which, which come over Jesus. Things like, like lust, uh, sexual desires that come over, come over us and they become a priority over Jesus. Our popularity, the way people see us, that becomes so important to us. We, you know, the, the things that we buy, the things that we drive, the places where we live, the way we behave ourselves, it's all about how people see us and whether we're popular or not. And we forget, you know, we forget, and Jesus goes to second place or third place or tenth place. Sometimes it's our relationships that become our priority. And, and all we care about is having good relationships with other people and we forget that we need to have a relationship with Jesus. Sometimes it's our, it's our looks, whether it's, it's our, you know, it's our makeup or going to the gym for the guys or whatever. It's all about the looks. If I can look good, man, this is the most important thing. And it's not. Like, these things are not bad, but if that becomes your priority and it's, that's the most important thing in your life, 
you're like that fish biting the, the hook. Somebody's going to reel you in and it ain't going to taste good. You know, dinner's not going to be fun. It'll be fun for the one who reeled you in. For some people, it's, it's, it's you know, it's the online, it's, it's the games, it's their phone. It's whatever it is, your priority isn't Jesus first. And then we get to verse 37. It says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. So the message today is really simple. Your priorities in life. Basically what it's saying here is if you take the entire Bible and you condense it. And you say, what is the Bible about? It's loving God and it's loving others. It's taking any other priorities that you have in your life, taking them away and prioritizing loving God and loving others. So the Bible says that God has loved us first. He came down, he died on the cross. In the place where we should have been punished, he was punished. And the Bible says because he loved us in this way, it says in 1 John, we now love him. And if you're having a hard time loving God, it's hard to love somebody you don't know. You know, I don't know if you've ever met somebody that you didn't know real well, but you, you did, not that you didn't like them, but you didn't, you didn't really like them. You didn't really know anything about them. But as soon as you got to meet this person and the closer you got with them, you're like, wow, this person is kind of a great guy or a great girl. And you start liking them, they kind of grow on you. I know if that's ever happened on you. Okay, it's happened to Brother Matthew. Hallelujah. He's met some nice people. That's good. For the rest of you who haven't met anybody nice, Brother Matthew's a nice guy. Anyway, anyways, uh, side note. It's kind of like that with God, too. If, if God is kind of out there and he's far, maybe he hasn't grown on you. You have to get to know him closer. And once you get to know him closer, the closer you get to know God, the more he grows on you and the more you start to love him. That's the first thing. And the second thing, it says, love your neighbor. Now, when it says love your neighbor, we're, we're not talking about fuzzy feelings, right? The Bible is not saying you need to have fuzzy, warm feelings towards everybody and just be lovey-dovey. Uh, well, first of all, that's hard to do. Two, once you get married, I mean, like, what, what about all the rest of these girls? It, that doesn't work either, right? So it's not, what about, the Bible says about your enemies. Does that mean you need to... Love your enemies by having warm, fuzzy feelings towards them? No. When it talks about love, love is an action. It's doing what is best for the other person. Not fuzzy, warm feelings, although, you know, those are great when they're there. And so, loving your neighbor is doing things for the people around you that are in their best interest. And so I have a challenge for you for, of sorts. One is to Start spending more time with God so that you can love him more. And two is figure out practically, like, what can you do to show love to your neighbor? And I'm not saying, like I was saying, um, try to figure out how you can feel fuzzy and nice towards somebody. Not that. Like, practically, what can you do to show love to somebody else? Can you check up on a friend that you haven't checked up on in a while and ask them how they're doing? Can you call somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? And just listen to what they have to say. 
Can you, can you pay for somebody who can't afford to go to the coffee shop? Can you pray for somebody? Can you come home and offer to do some chores that you weren't asked to do? Can you figure out and see somebody around you who needs some help and go out and help them? I mean, there's practical things we can do to love our neighbors. And so my challenge is you should, like, find one of those things. Like, when you go home tonight, or maybe while you're driving, be like, what's one thing I can do to show love to my neighbor, to somebody who's around me? And so concluding, I want to ask you this question is, do you feel like your priorities are where they should be? Do you feel like any of your priorities are trapped? Like you got hooked onto the wrong priorities and you need some help? You know, sometimes uh, I remember reading a long time ago this example of how do you trap certain animals? And certain animals, you know, they, they see some bait, they'll jump for it. Other animals, they're very cautious. And so the way you trap them is, for example, you, you put some corn for the deer, right? You put some corn, and the deer will come eat it. And then, like, the next day or a week later, you put some corn, and you build one wall. You put, like, one fence line out. And they're like, well, it's not that big of a difference. And so they still come and eat the corn. And then the week after that, you, you build another wall. And the week after that, you build another wall. And then the week after that, you build another wall right here with a little, you know, gate, but leave it open. The week after that, you put a gate. And the, the process is so gradual and it's so slow and they kind of get used to it that after a while, you can put a gate there and they'll still come for the corn. When they get in there, you close the gate and they're trapped. And, you know, there might have been a time in our lives where... God was the priority, and that's a good thing. But like those deer, like these other animals, slowly we've had these, you know, things in our lives that may be great things, but they are not and should not be the priority of our life. And slowly they've been building around us, and the door might have been shut or it's getting close to being shut. So today I want to I wanna ask you to stand right now, and we're going to be praying Take a look at your life. Is there anything around you where your priorities are trapped, where they're not where they should be? And if your priorities aren't where they should be, ask God for help. Say, God, you know, I'm not loving you like I should. I'm not loving my, the people around me like I should. Help me with that. And if you need to talk to somebody, you can either talk to me, talk to one of the deacons, pastors afterwards, uh, whenever. Talk to your parents. And say, hey, I, I want to get my priorities straight. How, how can I do that? Let us pray.